Colossians 1:15 says this, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together and he is the head of the body the church he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent for in him all the fullness of god was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his
just a moment 
Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, I'm so excited to worship. If you're visiting with us, my name's Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Airline. And so just curious, who had a, who had a great Christmas this week? Okay, awesome. Who's ready to stay up till midnight tonight? Okay. Um, I think we're all going to Ricky's house tonight to celebrate New Year's. And so if everybody that's interested, we'll go over it. I'm just kidding. Um, it's actually going to be at Nelson's house. Um, but no, so excited to ring in the new year tonight as we go into 2024. But even more excited to have the opportunity to worship today as we wrap up 2023 and look ahead to 2024 what an excellent way to end out a year and go into a new year by worshiping our king of kings and lord of lords amen and so i appreciate you being here today if you're visiting with us we'd love for you to fill out one of those connection cards in the seat back somewhere around you um, we have a gift for you being here today just want to share our appreciation for you taking time to worship here at airline today well, that being said, I'm going to pray for us, and we'll go into our time of offering, and then from there we will continue on in worship. Let's pray together. Father God, we love you. We praise you. God, just as we've already said, we thank you for this opportunity we have to worship you. God, let us not take this for granted. Let us not take this lightly, that we have the opportunity to come together as a corporate body of believers to make much of Christ. So God, help us to worship you. God, we pray for these offerings. God, let it be used for your glory and for your honor. God, let it be used to make the name of Christ known here in Hall County in Northeast Georgia, but God, also to the ends of the earth. God, not to make our name known, not so that people would know the name of airline, but that they would know the name of Christ, so would you take it and would you use it as only you can? We love you. We praise you. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand as we continue in worship.
Lately, it seems that we're getting more and more confused about what a church actually is. So let's take some time to set the record straight. Church is not a building, though a building can be used by a church. Church is not a denomination, though a set of beliefs should be important to a church. Church is not about Sunday, though a church should not forsake meeting together. Church is not about one person or personality, though every church should be pastored. And church is not about size or growth, though every church is called to make disciples. So don't think of church as an address or a location, but rather think of church as mobile and on the move. Don't think of church as something built or planted, but rather think of church as something deployed. Don't think of church as where you are for an hour each week, but rather what you are every day of the week, because the church is the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Feet shouldn't sit still. Hands shouldn't be idle. Feet go. Hands do. This is the church. Church isn't what you're sitting through right now, because you are the church. Now go and be the church.
thank you, Taylor and the band, for leading us in worship this morning. Again, I want to welcome you to Airline. And I know we have several folks that are joining us online. We've got some folks traveling and some folks homesick. And so we want to welcome you online as well. And so this morning is going to look a little bit different than a typical Sunday morning. Really, this Sunday and next Sunday, I've titled these messages our vision series. Really, who we are, where we're going. And this morning's really going to be more geared to you individually, more of a personal vision for 2024. And next Sunday, hope you'll be back if you're visiting with us. Um, we're going to dive more into our mission, our vision, our core values, our strategy. All of those things will be more next Sunday. But as we think about this, New Year's is always an interesting time because we like to form New Year's. And resolutions can be interesting because they're oftentimes ideals we would like to achieve. So starting tomorrow, you may say, I want to lose 10 pounds. And you get into February and say, it's going well, I only got 15 pounds to go. That's how my resolutions typically go. But resolutions can be finicky, they can be difficult to actually achieve. And so really the next two Sundays, I don't want you to hear resolutions as in hopes that we would like to see happen. But through God's grace and his spirit can happen. And so today I want to wrestle with the question, how can God use me in 2024? How can God use you in 2024? And I believe God can use you in a couple different ways. Really two things, two tools that are in your toolbox, whether you realize it or not. Two tools are in your toolbox to reach outside the church, to minister outside of the local body, but also to minister inside the body. And these are two tools that you don't have to go through a training program to use. This isn't a methodology that we're employing. These are two tools that you already have. Are you ready for them? Let's pray. Father God, we come to you. Would you speak now? Let us hear from you and what you would have to say to us. And God, let us be open and honest to how you can use us in this coming year. And God will give you all the praise, honor, and glory. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. So how can God use me in 2024? First and foremost, God can use my talents. God can use my talents. The very first tool you have in the toolbox, as I said, it's not a methodology, it's not a class you have to study, but every single person sitting in this room today has God-given talents that God can use. God-given. It's just a matter of whether or not we will use them. And so what does this look like? What do talents include? First, talents include my profession. 
talents include my profession. We read in Colossians 3.23, says this, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Paul gives this admonition to the church of Colossae. And really what's interesting, in this section, he's going through a household called code where he talks to husbands and wives and children and parents, and he gets to this section where he talks to slaves or bond servants. Now, it's important that we not think of slaves here as kind of American slavery. This is a vastly different slavery in the Roman Empire. This is largely indentured servitude where if you, there was no credit back in the day. So if I owed Nelson some money, I couldn't go get my credit checked. So I would just go work for him to pay off that money that was owed. And so this is what Paul's talking about. Now imagine you owe someone some money and you are having to serve that person to pay off your debt. Are you going to be overly excited about that? Are you going to wake up every morning and go, yes, it's a blessed day to go serve this person that I'm, I owe money to? No. But in Paul's admonition, as he talks about this, he goes, as you go to that, as you work, your work is not for that person. You work as though you are working for the Lord. Now hear me this morning, whether you have a job that you absolutely love or you have a job that you absolutely hate, hear me, it is no accident that you are there. That God has you there on, a pur on purpose for a purpose. And so the question is whether or not we will use that and work as though we are working for the Lord or we are going to go about our daily lives as though we're just working for other people. See, if I work as though I'm working for the Lord, then it doesn't really matter what other people do or think. But you see, there's two issues we oftentimes run into with this. First and foremost, we oftentimes have a very improper theology of work, which me even saying that, you may say that sounds funny in and of itself. A theology of work? I want you to think back with me to the book of Genesis for a second. If you read chapters one and two, Adam is commissioned with a task. Even in sinless perfection, even in the garden, even pre-fall, Adam is told he has a job to do. Hear me, the fall hadn't happened yet. And yet there was still work to be done. We were created to work. We were created to have a task to accomplish. That goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. And now hear me, I don't want to mess with your theology of heaven for a second, but I firmly believe in the new heavens and new earth, we will still have work to be done. It just won't be toilsome, toilsome because of the fall anymore. There will still be things to do. But you see, we've developed a theology of work where we view work as a product of the fall 
Or work is not the good thing. Work is the thing that we do to get to the thing we actually want to do. Instead of going, no, God has gifted me with this. I can use this for his glory and for his honor so that whatever my job is, I do it as though I'm doing it for the Lord. And so if I'm a school teacher, I don't just show up to school to simply teach, to get the paycheck, to get the annoying kids out of my class. I teach as though God's in the room. If I sell insurance, I don't just sell insurance so I can make a paycheck. I sell insurance as though God is in the room. Whatever the job is, whatever the profession is, I am doing it to the Lord not just two men. So God has gifted you with a profession. But then second, we've developed a bad mindset, not just about a theology of work, but also a sacred and secular divide. You see, we oftentimes like to categorize things as sacred or secular, that this, this thing over here is purely secular and this thing over here is pu- purely sacred. So this Sunday morning hour, this is sacred, but Monday at 10 a.m., this is secular. And so what do I have to do? I have to keep these things divided. That is a purely modern mindset that the scripture knows nothing of that the rhythm in scripture is that everything is sacred. It's all God's time. And as his redeemed people, this hour on Sunday morning is just as much a time of worship as tomorrow at 10 a.m. at the job site. And so if I really want to leverage my profession, the the gift that God has given me, I have to view it as this is just as much his time as that is just as much his time. And so God can use that. He can use my profession. But then second, so talents include my profession, but talents include my passions and my proficiencies my passions and my proficiencies. Ephesians 2.10 says this, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, if you're familiar with the context of Ephesians 2, it's talking, it goes through this long section talking about what salvation is and how we are saved. And this is really kind of the concluding remark about this, that we are saved, we are his workmanship, that we are handcrafted by God. And why are we his workers? Why did he make us? Why did he craft us the way that he did? For good works. Like the things that I am good at. God did those things in my life. For what? For good works. The things that I enjoy doing. Why did God do that? For good works. That we all have these Hear me well this morning. I'm not talking about sinful passions, okay, or sinful things that we're good at, like 
really enjoy robbing banks and I'm good at it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about those good things in life. Those things that God has made you passionate about. Do you think that's accidental? Do you think that's just coincidence? And those things that you're really good at, and hopefully they overlap. But do you think those are accidental? That's just a random byproduct that you're good at that and you enjoy that? Or do you think maybe, just maybe, God hardwired you in such a way that you are good at that and you enjoy that and that maybe there is an avenue that you can use that for his glory? That God's gifted you with that talent. God's gifted you with that ability. What if you leveraged it for his glory? You've heard me say before, the beautiful thing about the church is that we're all different. Like how terrible would the, the local church be if we were all exactly the same? Like if everyone was exactly like you, everyone had the exact same preferences as you, everybody had the exact same personality as you, everybody in the room was exactly good at the same thing. Some of you may think that sounds awesome. That would actually be quite miserable. But the beauty about the local church is that we are all different. We all have different talents in this room. And so the reality is your talents are different than my talents. Your passions are different than my passions. Your proficiencies are different than my proficiencies. Your profession is different than my profession. And so what does that do? That opens up doors for you to go take the gospel that, hear me, I would never be able to walk into. The talents that God has given you are different from the person sitting in the pew as you. And so what that does is that provides opportunities for that person that may not be there for the next person, but the next person has opportunities that you don't have. And so what happens when the church grows and the church flourishes? It's a group of believers who are using their talents, how God has gifted and equipped them in their context. Because we all have different talents. It's just a matter of if we will allow God to use them. If we will lay those things down and say, God, will you use how you have created me for your glory and for your honor? So that's the first tool. No need for a six-week course on that. You already have that tool in your toolbox. But the second one may be a little more interesting. God's gifted us each with, a, with talents. But then second, the second tool you have in your toolbox is your table. How can God use me in 2024? God can use my table. I firmly believe this. 
that one of the greatest means of ministering within the church and without, of the, without the church is sitting in your dining room right now, is sitting in your kitchen right now. But you see, we move in such a fast-paced life, we're constantly on to the next thing, that we can oftentimes struggle to even sit at the dining room table ourselves. And so the thought of having other people over to the dining room table seems far-fetched. But hear me, it is one of the greatest tools you have in your toolbox if we will just use it. And we actually see this modeled in the life of Jesus. Three things I want us to see. First is the table as a means of discipleship. The table as a means of discipleship. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. I've always found this text interesting as Jesus is wanting to teach his disciples something about himself. He brings them to the upper room to have dinner with them. It says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink, of, drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. That as Jesus is wanting to teach his disciples about himself and the sacrifice that he was about to make, he brings them to the dinner table. He shares a meal with them that do not underestimate the value of a breakfast table, a lunch table, a dinner table when it comes to discipleship. Never underestimate the value of that. You see, I'm a firm believer in this, that when it comes to discipleship, there's what is caught and what is taught. What is caught and what is taught. You see, I can stand up here and preach about how to pray. Here's what the scripture says about prayer. Here's the points on prayer. Here's why we pray. But at the end of the day, Nelson, if you really want to pray, go spend time with someone who prays. I can stand up and preach a message on how to be a godly husband and a godly father, which is good. We need that. But that's taught. But if you really want to be a godly husband and a godly father, go spend time with someone who's a godly husband and a godly father that is caught. You see, I... I just to be completely transparent with you this morning, this may surprise you. Um, when it comes to my own spiritual gifting, evangelism is not one of them. Okay, shocker. Okay, 
So like if we were to get on an elevator and you'd be like, Zach, share the gospel with that person. Like I'm going to get nervous. I'm going to start stuttering, probably say something heretical in there somewhere. And it's just not going to end well. Like that's just not my gifting. It's not my skill set. But I'll never forget, I have, I have a pastor friend of mine down in Florida who every single time we would go out to eat, evangelism was right in his wheelhouse. He loved it. We'd go out to a restaurant and he would be five, we'd be in the restaurant five minutes, he's four minutes into a gospel conversation with the waitress. And I'm like, I just want to eat a burger. Like, but can I tell you something? I learned so much. Not because he said, Zach, here's how you do it, but because I watched him do it. You see, that only happens from relationship. This is why relationship in the church is so important. Because yes, we need to be taught, but also we need things that are caught from godly disciples, from godly saints. So don't underestimate the value that your kitchen table has to bring someone in to disciple them. It may not be super structured. It may not be rigid. You may not have a material that you're working through and using. It may just be, hey, come grab dinner at our house every other week. We wanna do life with you and just see what God can do around that dinner table. So the table as a means of discipleship, but then second, the table as a means of healing. John 21, the table as a means of healing. I've always loved this story. Here we are, post-resurrection, stories are going about, about Christ being risen. And what do the disciples do? They turn to fishing. So Jesus encounters them, starting in verse 4. So just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. Just, I love that picture. Like, I'm gonna wait for the boat to get there. I'm just gonna jump in the water. It says, the other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. And when they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? 
they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them, and so would the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. I love this story because as we follow the the, the overarching narrative, Jesus has been crucified. He's been resurrected. He told his disciples he was going to be risen from the grave. And instead of waiting on Jesus to be risen from the grave in an enthusiastic manner, they simply go back to what they had been comfortable doing. And Jesus goes to meet them. And the very one who had denied Jesus three times is the one who jumps into the water to go meet Jesus on the shore instead of taking the boat to the shore with all the other disciples. And when they get there, they meet Jesus. And Jesus looks at them, and instead of going, why weren't you waiting on my resurrection? Instead of looking at Peter and going, what, we need to talk about this whole denying me thing. He looks at the disciples and says, come have breakfast. He invites them to the table. These disciples who were weary, these disciples who were heartbroken, these disciples who had just seen their lives turned upside down, he simply invites them to breakfast. See, what if the church today, when we have weary members, when we have members who we haven't seen in a while, we have members who have gone astray, when there's marriages that are falling apart, when there's kids who have, who have gone wayside. You see, far too often the church today is known for shooting its wounded. That when people become of no value to us, we simply cut them off. You see, what if instead of being known for shooting its wounded, we were known for shepherding the wounded? Instead of asking, where have you been? We simply say, come have breakfast. That what if your table was known, not just for being a place of discipleship, but being a place of healing? where when there's that one that's going astray, come have breakfast. When, the, when there's that couple whose marriage is falling apart, come have breakfast. When there's the parents who are dealing with a wayward child, come have breakfast. Instead of pushing people out who are dealing with things and struggling with things, we simply invited them in and pulled them up a seat at the table and simply said, come have breakfast. How radically different would that be?
that God can use your table for discipleship, but God can also use your table as a place of healing spiritually. We see Jesus model this, discipleship, healing, but then lastly, the table as a means of evangelism. Mark 2. The table as a means of evangelism. Starting in verse 15. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick... I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. See, do not underestimate the value that your table has in sharing the gospel. This is exactly what Jesus modeled. Jesus wasn't hanging out with sinners and tax collectors because he wanted to look cool and gain some reputation. He had a purpose in sharing the good news. These are the very people who needed a physician. And so he met with them at the table to proclaim that good news to them. One of my favorite stories about this, if you haven't heard of this person, I'd encourage you to look them up, is a lady by the name of Rosaria Butterfield. Several decades ago, Rosaria Butterfield, she was a professor, I believe it was a Syracuse, teaching English and women's studies. She had a PhD. She was a lesbian activist, and she was writing on the relationship between the church and politics, and so she was really taking a dig at the church. And in that, a local pastor reached out to her. Not to criticize her, not to condemn her, but what did he do? He said, why don't you come have dinner with my family? And shockingly, she did. And over the course of several years, a friendship was formed. And throughout the course of all these dinners and throughout the course of all these correspondences, God began to soften her heart to the gospel. And she repented and believed the gospel. And today, she is, her husband is a pastor of a church and she writes multiple books dealing with the gospel and Christianity and how we think about sexuality and the current culture and all of that stuff. All because one person said, Come have dinner with me. Don't underestimate the influence that just simply a dinner invitation will have in somebody's life. Your table can be used 
for evangelism. Your table can be used to share the gospel. And you all have it. You all have talents. You all have a table. It's just simply the question of if we will allow God to use it. You see, when we think about the people that God uses, if we look at church history, we, we see things like the day of Pentecost when, thou, when the gospel's preached and thousands of people come to know Christ. But as we look throughout the rest of the New Testament and we look throughout early church history, those events were pretty rare. By and large, the gospel is carried out by normal people. The gospel is carried out by merchants taking the gospel with them as they went to do business. The gospel is carried out by moms and dads discipling their children. The Gospels is carried out when they would go and sit at the city gates to discuss life and politics and all of that stuff. The Gospel went with them, and by and large, the vast majority of believers come from those conversations, not the preaching to thousands. And you all have the gifts and the talents and the abilities and the opportunities to do the same. And this is what brings us to our central idea this morning. This is that point. The majority of the gospel witnesses are not a few extraordinary people with extraordinary means, but masses of ordinary people with ordinary means. You see, I don't know where you are today if you're sitting here going, I would love to be used by God in 2024. I would love for God to use my family in 2024, but you just don't understand. I don't have the means to do it. I'm not a special person to be able to do it. God uses special people and God uses people with special means. God could not use me to do it. And just as I said, we're here today in church history, by and large, not because of the extraordinary people with extraordinary means. We're here today because of ordinary people with ordinary means, just like you and I. That we all have talents, we all have a table. It's just a matter of if we will go, God, use it. God, would you use what you've given me for your glory? as the band comes back to the stage. I hope you've seen this morning the answer to the question, 
How can God use you in 2024? The answer is not a new methodology. It's not a new training curriculum. It's not having a few more answers. The answer to the question, how can God use me in 2024? It's to simply go, God, you use the tools you've already given me. You've given me talents. You've given me abilities. You've given me gifts. Would you use them? God, you've given me a table. Would you let me use it? Would you let me use it? And here's the sneaky suspicion that I have. If we came open-handed and said, God, would you use it? I have the sneaky suspicion he would. It's just simply a matter if we, if we say, God, would you use it? So as you think through the end of this year, preparing to go into 2024, would you just join with me in praying God, would you use me in 2024? God, would you use me for your glory and your honor in 2024? God, would you use those talents to disciple and to share the gospel? God, would you use my home to disciple and to heal and to share the gospel? God, would you use me? Because I can't help but imagine that if there was a collective group of individuals who said, God, would you use me? What would happen in the life of the church as a whole? Instead of saying, God, would you use airline? We want to pray to that end. We want God to use airline as a whole in 2024. But it starts with individuals saying, God, use me. And then that will spread to God, use us. Would you join me in praying for that today? If you want to come pray at the altar, you're more than welcome to. If you need somebody to pray with, I'll be standing over here to the side. But let's respond today. Say, God, here's my open hands. Use my talents. Use my table. Use it for your glory and your honor. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We praise you. God, we pray as we prepare to go into 2024, that God, we would simply be open hands to say, use me. Use how you've gifted me. Use how you've equipped me. Use what you've blessed me with to disciple others closer to you and to proclaim the gospel to those who don't know you. Would you use me? And God will give you all the praise, honor, and glory. We pray all of this in Christ's name, amen.
Would you stand as we respond today? He became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness. He humbled himself and carried the
Well, you can see a few things coming up in your bulletin. Just want to draw your attention to those. Uh, of course, this Wednesday night, no Wednesday night activities. We'll be relaunching those next Wednesday um, with a new round of Wednesday night equipped classes. And I'm really excited about some of the classes that we have coming up this spring. And so encourage you to be on the lookout for that as we formally announce those classes that we'll be having. Um, and then as well, January 7th, so next Sunday evening is going to be our children's musical. And as you remember, um, we had some sickness kind of run through the week we were supposed to do it. And so next Sunday, just encourage you to come back and be a part of that that Sunday night. Um, I know our kids have put a lot of time and effort and energy into putting that together. And so we want to support them and encourage them. And so we're excited to see them put that together next Sunday evening. And so you can see, again, a few other things going on. We will wish you a happy new year, and we'll pray and be dismissed, and we'll see you all next year. I had to make the joke. I'm sorry. All right, Taylor, will you pray, pray and close us out? Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. Thank you, God, for allowing us to meet here to worship you this morning. God, we, we have sung your praises this morning. We've lifted you high this morning as we have met together, Father, but I pray that these these songs, this message that we have that we've sang and heard this morning will be the anthem of our year, Father, that we'll praise you, we'll worship you in, in everything that we do, everything that we touch, everywhere that we go. God, that you will be magnified and glorified and lifted high in our lives because of how great and wonderful you are working through our lives, God, not because of anything that we possess or anything that 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 we do or anything that we have, Father, but because of how awesome you are. Let your name be, be lifted up everywhere in all the nations, Father. God, thank you for this group of people. God, I, I love them so much. I'm thankful for them. God, I pray that you'll bless them this year as we begin to step into a new year, God, that, that you will bless these folks. Uh, God, that they will uh, live a life that is full of joy, full of love. Uh, because of you. So again, God, we love you, and uh, we praise you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.